So our passage this morning, if you have a Bible next to you, uh, please turn to Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 18. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 18. Let me read for us. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that in the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my dear children, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in, in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like the stars in the sky, as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that, that I did not labor, or that not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice. One of the uh, things that make it hard for us to achieve uh, altruistic goals are good things for the benefit of the other as, human, as, uh, as a group or as human beings is because we are inher inherently inward-looking. It is the, one of the reasons why crime is so hard to fight. Because even though everyone doesn't want to be a victim of crime, there are those among us who would partake in criminal activities because they are thinking about themselves and not necessarily about the whole group. Yes, we want to end child abuse, we want to end corruption. We want everyone in our communities to walk around with masks, especially at this moment, to protect not only themselves but also others around them. But we are, what we are saying is that all of those things Though they are good things, they are against a tide of human nature, which is very strong. A desire to do what you want to do. You see it, for example, in the, uh, uh, the, the fight against 
you know, the, 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 our negative impact on our planet. Finding it difficult to reverse the ties of generations of pollution to our, our atmosphere, to our oceans, because we are inherently selfish. Even though, yes, we want to have a cleaner planet, we want to have clean water, we want to have predictable seasons, none of us are willing to make the sacrifice in order to get there. We have manufacturers who are selfish, who think about profit as the most important thing that they can care for. We have consumers who want what they want, and they will pay whatever they can. They will pay the least they can for it, even though it may be manufactured in a place where people get low wages, in a place where um, factories pollute the environment. The impact of our decisions is severe in, uh, for our future. But because we are inward looking now, we're not thinking about our future or the future of our children. At times we think only of ourselves. And when the gospel comes in, it seeks to redirect our desires and says that you, as a human being, as a, as a person who lives on this planet, you're not the center of the universe. So what you want should not be the, the, the determining uh, factor. What you desire should not be all, but rather Christ should be all. You have Jesus coming in, having been being God, enjoying all the privileges of being God. He comes and he becomes a human being. He suffers as human being as we all suffer. He gets hungry as we all do. He has no place to lay his head as we all have to find a place to sleep at night. He has the same struggles as, as we do. But in his attitude, in his relationship with others, he puts them first. And he puts God first. Especially God who is commanding him to put others first and not himself. We have seen it in the book of Philippians as well that they have been actually a good example of this attitude. Even though Paul is going to encourage them to, to adopt the same attitude of Christ, they've actually exemplified it. He's been encouraging them to continue in what they're already doing. We've seen that Philippian church has been a good example of other people's centeredness in their support of Paul's ministry, despite their own struggles. And Paul thanks God for their partnership in the gospel in uh, chapter 1, verse 5. But he is still encouraging them to grow in love for one another as they care about the gospel going out and not about the persecution that they would endure for prioritizing the gospel above everything. Last week, we saw that Paul is encouraging them to live lives that are worthy of the gospel, to be unwavering in their faith, even in the face of opposition, and to show humility by 
not thinking of themselves, but, but, but by being sacrificial, by caring for the needs of the other person. The passage this morning continues in that same um, ethos, in that same light. It continues uh, all, all the way to verse 18 by encouraging one believers to follow Christ as an example of sacrifice. To follow Christ as an example of other person-centeredness. We see this in verses 5 to 11. Let's look at verses 5 and, and, uh, and 6 now. So it says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage, but rather he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. We are seeing here that this passage is about relationships. And, and Paul is asking the believers that in their relationships with one another, to imitate Christ. What should they imitate to Christ? They should imitate his other person-centeredness. They should imitate the fact that he is, was concerned for the other person. If you look at verses 5 to 6, he came from privilege. He came from privilege. He, but however, verses 6, the one who was God himself, who was made in the very image of God, who was made in the nature of God, he did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. But rather, he made himself nothing. Came down from the glory of heaven, from privilege. He came down and he became a human being. The temptation uh, you know, to a position like Jesus is that he would want to seek to enjoy his position. Say, I am God. I don't have to come down and make a sacrifice for, for these people. He, 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 the temptation is that for him to seek to entrench it. But rather, he did not. He came down. He made the sacrifice by humbly becoming man. For us, it is difficult to see becoming a human being as a humbling experience. But imagine yourself that you were God himself, who rules over the universe, who exists eternally and can be anywhere at once. God who enjoys praise from all the angels, who love and worship him. The God who's, who is able to create the world with his word. Imagine all of that. It is beyond superhero imagination. Imagine all of that. Saying, no, I'm going to be born of a woman. I'm going to depend on 
a mother for sustenance when, I was a when I'm a child. I'm going to be clothed by a family, fed by this family. And I'm not even going to be born in a, the wealthiest of families. I'm going to be born to a family that it just struggles to make ends meet. A family whose father or, or head of the family is a carpenter. A sort of blue-collar working family. Imagine that. And imagine knowing that you're not only going to become part of that family, that is not going to be the richest family in the world, but you are also going to be maligned, going to be rejected by the very people that you have come to save. They are going to hunt you down, wanting your head. They are going to uh, take you and nail you at the cross accusing you of all sorts of things. But yet, you want to die for them. You want to die that their sins may be forgiven. That is humility to God. He is not you know, just giving, uh, giving himself the little that he can. No, no, he's giving his life for us that we may enjoy a relationship with God. How does God reward him? How does God look upon this um, humility? He exalts him to the highest place. He gives him a name that is above every name, that is the name of Jesus, the name of him who saves at every time would confess as he is Lord that every knee would bow down before him. God says he rewards this humility. He rewards him by uh, putting him in a, in a privileged place. He is now seated at the right hand of God the Father and he rules eternally with him. That you and I, who are adopted into his family by faith, who are his children by faith, we bow down and worship before him. Yes, not everyone worships him now, but you know that a time is coming in which he will, everyone will bow down to him as Lord and Savior or as judge who's going to send them, who's going to cast them, people away from God's presence. So we see that. And Paul encourages us and says, have this kind of mind, believers. In your relationship with one another, think of others. Imitate Christ and what he did for humanity. You might not, you, you might not be able to you definitely will not be able to go die on the cross for others. But you can use the position that God has put you in for the benefit of others. That you may be lifted up in the end. That you may be rewarded by God in the end. We'll see what that looks like um, later on in the passage. 
The second thing that we see there is that the willingness to sacrifice is an indicator of our faith. It's an indicator that we have come to believe in God. Verses 12 to 13. It says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in accordance with his purpose. Paul here is saying to them, you have always obeyed, even in my absence. You have always uh, indicated faithful obedience to God. You've always been a good example, as I said at the beginning of, the, of, of chapter 1. You have always been a source of encouragement. When Paul thinks about them, he praises God for them, for their love and faith. He says, now continue to do this. Continue to do this. What shall they do? They should continue to work out their salvation in fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in accordance with his good pleasure. That working out their salvation or that obedience, which is what the, uh, the corresponding verb is there, one, they are called to, as you've always obeyed, continue to obey. And in the next verse, he says, you, in this obedience, you are working out your salvation as God works in you. Which means that the obedience and the working out of salvation are the same thing. What have they, the, the, the believers of, in Philippi been doing? They have been sacrificial especially towards Paul. They have put the gospel first, despite the, their own persecution. And Paul is saying, continue to do that, because that is working out your salvation. That is, you are working, you are doing these things, so that in the end, you may be saved. To some people, that may sound a little bit odd and a little bit uncomfortable because we, not, we, we think that salvation is an act of God and, and we should think so because that is correct. But we should not think of salvation as an act of God that does not call us to a life of obedience. Salvation is not merely an act of God that God does to us and we passively just go along, doing what we want to do, if we want to, uh, continuing to sin, as if that does not matter. No. Salvation, yes, is, a, is an act of God. But God has called us to a life of obedience as his people. Which is why Romans 12 can can, can speak about the fact that you, are, you, are, you have been saved, but you are being saved now. Which is why God, God can say that you are my children, but live as my children. Which is why Jesus can say, you are my disciples, but continue to abide in me. 
It means that those who are part of God's family, those who have faith, are those who take obedience to God seriously. And those who are not of faith don't take obedience seriously. Which is why then Paul is saying, continue to work out your salvation in fear and trembling. The instruction is to you, believer, to them, believer. Do something. Work out your salvation. Continue to obey. Are you doing that on your own? No, verse 13. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his purpose. So yes, you have been called to obey, but God is the one who is in you, in enabling you, encouraging you to obey. In, uh, in the gospel, is what Jesus says, no, no one comes to the Father, except no one comes to me unless the Father draws him. Yes, Jesus is calling them to come to him, but the Father is drawing them. He's drawing them to himself. Yes, you have been called to obey church in Philippi, but it is God who is working in you, enabling you to obey. What does this mean then practically? It means that as a believer, you are to, you are to take obedience to God's law seriously. But we should not think that my obedience to God's law is, is necessarily what saves, but God enables you to obey God. It means that taking the word of God seriously is an important thing. It also means that you know that God, through his spirit, enables us to take the word of God seriously. It's it's what uh, Bible scholars call compat- com- com- compatibilism. It is that it is 100% God who is working in you to do and to act. But he is calling you to a life of 100% obedience to him. So then if you are not obedient, it means that you are denying the God who is in you calling you to act according to his purpose. It means in other passages, especially in, the, in Mark, that you are quenching the Holy Spirit. We looked at, um, at that last year. That you are denying the Holy Spirit. And then lastly, we are called not only to imitate the image of Christ, not only to live lives of obedience, with God's empowering word, but to do this gladly. To do this, to sacrifice, to live lives of obedience gladly. Verses 14 to 18. It says, do nothing, do, do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may be blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like the stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. What's the, uh, the desire there in verses 15? That in the end, you, 
that Christians may be distinct to the world, that they may shine among them like stars, that in a world of disobedience, in a world of disregard for God and his word, that we may be people who are holding firmly to it, and that would make us to seem unique, that would make us attractive to those who are in the world. But how would we do this? We are to do this without complaining, without murmur, the, the literal uh, translation there, without a voice below our voice. We are doing something, but inwardly, below, you are not entirely happy with what you're doing. This is probably the hardest um, instruction in the section that you're looking at this morning. Because we can actually do things. We can uh, follow laws. But we may sometimes follow them begrudgingly. Some of us are begrudging in our driving, for example. Wish the speed limits are not there, but we are following them. Some of us uh, give our, our finances to the state in to the tax um, bucket, as it were. But a lot of us are doing it begrudgingly because we are concerned about corruption in our government. Some of us, yes, we are putting our masks on, but we don't like it. No one likes the, the, the smell of their own breath you know, all the time. But God calls us to do more than just obey. He calls us to, to obey him, to, that is to sacrifice gladly, to do this joyfully, to do this without murmur. Because doing it begrudgingly is a selfish thing, is, what, is the very thing that he is calling us away from. It's very self-centered. To, to complain is to say that I should not be doing this. Or I should not be making this sacrifice. As if, you know, and therefore when you are complaining, you are making it, you're making likely of the sacrifice that has been made for you as well. Jesus laid down his life for you, gladly so. But of his own accord, he lays down his life for you. And he is calling you to joyfully do this as well. That in a wicked and crooked generation that does things for its own purpose, for its own selfish reasons, be different by being obedient gladly by holding firmly to the word of God gladly how are you going to do this and I think Paul here he uses the example of himself to say that if you do this what will happen to me will happen to you as well what will happen to Paul verses 16 as they hold firmly to the word of God. And then Paul says, 
I'll be able to boast on the day of Christ, that I do not run or labor in vain. Even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering, as a sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Paul is in a place where he's suffering for believers. He's suffering for his faith, for speaking the gospel. But he says that if you do this, if you continue to obey gladly in God, that on the judgment day, I'll be able to boast in Christ. I will receive my reward as God says, enter into my presence. Enter into the joy of your master. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Just as God, you know, welcomed Jesus into his presence and seated him at the right hand of God. Just as God gave him a name, Jesus, that is above every name, Paul will be able to boast on the day of Christ that he did not labor in vain. What he's saying there is that you ought to sacrifice gladly as you look to the future. Let the, the future joy of your sacrifice, that, that will be the result of your sacrifice, be an encouragement to you now to sacrifice gladly. Then what that means for us is then we are called as believers to imitate Christ as our example. The one who gave his life for others and did so gladly. And we are told that our minds should be like this in our relationships with one another. We ought to be like this in our sacrifice for one another. We ought to be like Christ who laid down his life for his friend. It's also a, 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 a challenge against greed or the heart that seeks to hoard that that heart is disobedient to the word of God. It is also a challenge against the heart that does not give gladly that that heart is disobedient towards God. It is an encouragement not only to be other people-centered, but also to pray for our attitudes as we think of others. To pray that God would soften our hearts, that God would enable us, would, give, would remove hearts of stone that gave begrudgingly and give us hearts of flesh that gave joyfully that sacrifice joyfully for the sake of those who are in our community. And thirdly, that means pray, pray, and pray. Pray and trust, and pray that you would trust in God and not in your own strength. And pray that God would indeed transform us and make us more and more like his son and not more and more like our heroes that you see on television. Who, who get all they can, who can all they get and sit on their cans, as some people have said. Pray, pray, and pray. It means that 
that a, 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 is a challenge for us. That a life of a believer is meant to be a life of other people's sentiments. A life of sacrifice for the sake of others, just as God sacrificed for your sake. Let's pray to God and ask him for help. Lord Jesus, these things are easier said than done. It is easier to say that now let's be sacrificial and be like Jesus. But our hearts are deceitful, our hearts are greedy. Our hearts look for our own interests and not for the interests of others. Our hearts seek our own glory and not yours. Lord, we lift our hearts to you this morning. And you are saying, transform us, Lord. Transform us in the image of your Son, that we may live lives that are indeed worthy of the gospel in which we have been called. We pray and ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please let us stand and let us sing our last song together.